May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I went to the Holy Land for the first time in the summer of 2012. At that time, um, it had been relatively peaceful there uh, for a while, but still the number one question that people asked me as I prepared to go was, are you afraid? What I didn't admit was that I was using most of my fear feelings on the idea of getting to the Holy Land, transatlantic flights combined two of the greatest ones for me, airplanes and large bodies of water. <laughs> didn't have a lot of anxiety left over uh, for the uh, thought of actually being in Israel. But, I mean, to honest to tell you, I, I wasn't particularly scared. I move through the world as a white American female tourist, the kind of person countries want around, not for any endearing personal qualities, but for my endearing expendable income. Plenty of dollars to change over into shekels, and it makes everyone polite to you. They know, they know English, I learned enough Arabic to say thank you and please and water and I don't understand. I was definitely unnerved at the sight of teenagers walking around in military uniform with AK-47s, but that was that. The trip was incredible, life-changing, beyond the scope of this sermon. But the one story that I want to tell you comes from the very last day of the trip, our trip back to the airport in Tel Aviv. So we were pulling up to the airport, uh, it's maybe an hour's drive from Jerusalem, and our group had been driven there in this thing called a Sharif, it's a, it's a shared taxi, and we had been driven there by a Palestinian. Our pilgrimage had been, in fact, guided entirely by Palestinian Christians at the Anglican College in Jerusalem, uh, and we had been warned, prepped, to be ready for our, with our answers for why we had come to the Holy Land, that when we reached security, there would be questions. So we're nervous, and the tension is rising as we approach the airport. Like we had been warned, the Israeli authorities pulled our Sharif over with its Palestinian plates. We sat in this nervous quiet, each of us rehearsing our answers in our head, it just ready to be home again. And these men with Uzis surrounded our vehicle and questioned the driver, then opened up the, the passenger door of the van and pointed right at me and said, come here, get out. I obeyed, of course, heart beating out of my chest, trembling head to toe, trying to look and not at all like a terrorist. Uh, I mean, I wasn't a terrorist, <laughs> so which helped. Uh, and I hadn't done one illegal thing, but you know this feeling, right? They, they questioned me alone out there. I gave my prepared answers while eons of evolution screamed in every neuron and synapse something about fight or flight. They let us go. I mean, of course they did. But I realized, as I collapsed back into the Sharif and we pulled away from security, that I had caught something there, 
a glimpse of something, of what it would be like to be constantly suspected, singled out, questioned by powerful men with powerful guns. It happened to me because I was being taxied by a Palestinian driver. Less than a 15-minute space in time, and I was changed. In a land that has always existed, in a stark division of us versus them, I suddenly caught a glimpse of what it would be like to be a them. The us versus them is happening in our gospel today. Same place, different time. Jesus goes up to Gentile country, Tyre and Sidon. Mark tells us a Syrophoenician woman comes up, begging this Jewish rabbi to help her daughter. If you can't imagine something like this happening today, and you really can't, the, th- the line she crossed to have this conversation with this man, let me say, it is especially not done in Jesus' time. But Jesus does have a habit of consorting with the wrong people. And the first miracle of the story is his. He listens to this Gentile woman. But did you hear his reply in our gospel? He is right in line with first century Judaism and human nature, and it is 100% awful. At that moment, as far as Jesus can figure out, for his purposes, he is there for the people of Israel, for his people, the lost sheep. But it's not just that his people are sheep. He calls her a dog, an ethnic slur. It's so hard to hear out of his mouth. A woman comes begging for help for her daughter, and he says she's a dog. What do you do with that? Well, the woman happens to know what to do. Fine, she says, too worried for her sick daughter to take offense, too tired of this old story to fight it. Fine, dogs, sure. But isn't there enough here for the dogs? This bread that you've been multiplying and feeding to the multitudes, spilling over tables and falling onto the ground, how many baskets were left over? And you're hoarding it for a certain type of person? Is that the scope of a Messiah? Friends, do not miss the great miracle of this small story. When Jesus realizes for the first time that this work was greater than even he imagined, that faith was found in Israel and beyond, under tables, in our enemies. Jesus never loses a battle of witty retort except for here, and he is undone. This is the great miracle of the story, and it is hers. She changes Jesus' mind. When you hear this gospel, 
You hear the dawning of salvation for you and me. The world changes. The thousands-year-old grid that separates everyone just explodes in this plan of God reimagined by this foreign woman. She says what the disciples will say much, much later on when Peter is in Acts saying, Oh, I finally get it. God has no favorites. Later, Paul will write that there is no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. All are one in Christ Jesus. You and I are the them of this story. We are heirs of the Syrophoenician woman. So what if we believed this gospel today? We really cannot imagine things outside of our own experience. We aren't often pulled out of a taxi and questioned. Our grids usually keep me nicely as an American tourist and them as Palestinians. We all know, too, that we have our own versions of this at home. This is a story of what can happen when we change perspectives. Jesus of Nazareth takes time to listen. The Son of God incarnate has enough humility to say, You know, lady, you have a point. What if we could say that too? To just for a second not regard people on the merits of their works or worthiness or background, but to regard them in the light of what they suffer. For one second in Tel Aviv, I was pulled away from the safety of the grid that I knew, suspended on a ledge where it was me and men with guns, and I had nothing to hide. But that one second of empathy for what some people live their whole lives in, that changed me. So what if we believed this good news today? Because one man from Nazareth believed it once, and it changed him. A foreign woman believed in her place before God once, and she changed everything.